Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company as we continue and today finalize our uh, last message in a series that we've titled, God Commands the Blessing. God commands the blessing. And this particular series is being birthed in my heart as I was uh, thinking and sitting with God and reflecting on His direction uh, for uh, my year and for our year as a team. And, uh, and to be absolutely honest, just thinking about God maybe breathing a blessing over the life of our small community was initially uh, rattling for me. I hadn't been expecting that that's the theme for this year. But as I sat with the Lord and, and recognized that that is truly His whisper, I couldn't have come up with that myself. I began to uh, examine what it means to live a blessed life. And over the last four sessions or so, we've been looking at the dimensions of a blessed life. And we explained that a blessed life is a life that is uh, characterized by delighting in the King. A life that deepens unity with like-minded, God-loving believers. It's a life that uh, you know ex lives in a in a disciplined way. And today we want to conclude by it is a life that declares God's promises of a huge move that would transform uh, communities, cities, and indeed the world at large. Uh, we indicated that these four dimensions are both conditioned conditions to experience the blessed life as well as they are signs and indicators of what it means to live a blessed life. Uh, truly, if you are familiar with our framework of spiritual development, you would recognize by now uh, that those four dimensions explain the personality of Jesus, explain what it means to live like Jesus in the world, delighting in the King. That's what Jesus experienced, delighting in the Father. Uh, he had a deepened relationship and unity and transparency with his uh, uh, disciples, the community uh, of believers. Uh, he had a very disciplined lifestyle. Uh, he would say to the people who would, uh, you know, convict me of sin. He would wake up, it says, early in the morning and goes to a solitary place. And there he prayed, it says, as it was his customs, as it was his habit uh, to engage in a disciplined way uh, in, in, with the Lord. Uh, with with the Father and um, and obviously Jesus was able to declare a new era, to declare uh, uh, the reign of God, the kingdom of God. He says that this new season, uh, in, in his very first reading of the scriptures, he says this very season is upon us now, uh, the era of God's favor, and indeed He ushered a brand new season. And as Jesus followers. 
followers who are being endowed with his uh, characteristics, who have, who, have, who have been regenerated and received the power of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that, that gives us the potentialities of Jesus, we could live out his life in the world. And today, I want to focus on this influence in the world of ushering a move of God, of declaring his promises, that his promises still stand. He is faithful to do what he promised through Jesus to do, not just for the early century, but throughout every age. Um, and, and, and I know what you think about when it comes to the idea of declaring his promises. We are in an era, we are uh, in a season in, in, in the world where we'll look around us and following Jesus is not that cool. Uh, living wholeheartedly for Jesus is not the thing that everybody wakes up, up in the morning thinking about. Uh, it's almost like we, we, we get the sense to say, you know what, it's not what it used to be. Uh, life with God and a move of God, it's, it's, not, it's not really uh, possible. Uh, well, I grew up in an environment in a country where it seemed impossible for God to move in that environment. Uh, the great majority uh, of the population was anti-Christ in a sense. And the Christians, the great minority, they were actually, most of them uh, were known to be traditional Christians or uh, in a sense, very um, uh, religious uh, in a way in approaching Christ. Uh, yet in this particular environment, uh, my dad uh, encountered Jesus from a religious background. He had an experience with the Holy Spirit in, in 1964 that transformed the trajectory of his life. And, and he was from there on a bundle of fire for Jesus. And God used him profoundly. His preaching, you know, melted the chairs. There were conversion by the hundreds every weekend. There were signs and wonders, blind people seeing, paralyzed person got up and walked after 14 years of being paralyzed. There were healings everywhere. There were incredible movement that there were over 300 hundred people that would go out on a weekly basis to the various villages in Cairo, Egypt and reach out to unreached places. If you're talking about revival, there was a revival. And obviously I was very young at the time. I only, uh, you know, got the, the, the 1970s as a very young child, the 1970s experience of that revival. I used to attend the, the gathering that were of thousands of people it was unheard of thousands of people coming to worship God for hours and listen to a, a God inspired Holy Spirit filled uh, a, a gospel orientated message that was absolutely uh, transforming for those who heard it and, and, and those who trusted it and believed that was an incredible environment to people to be part of. And I grew with that, that dream uh, that if I ever was to embrace Christianity seriously, 
If I was ever going to live for God wholeheartedly and if I was ever going to minister in any capacity, I knew what was the benchmark. I knew what was to be expected. Man, this revival was possible. If it was possible in that city, it's possible in any city. If it's possible through this ordinary person who grew up in a religious environment, who didn't know much about the Spirit of God at all, who, who, who wrote on some of the verses in the Scripture that, that they're that they just too gracious. You know, he couldn't accept the grace of God. He's become the, the, a person that simple the preaching of the grace of God that attracts uh, you know, thousands of people to the heart of God. I believe that that was possible. So eventually uh, around the year uh, 2003 or so, uh, I, I, I got this uh, uh, promise from God. Uh, and again in 2005 that he's going to do an unprecedented revival. It came from a story in Zarephath with prophet Elijah. And I, I, I knew it like I knew it like I knew it that God was speaking to me about a season yet to come. That there will be an unprecedented revival that will have implication uh, beyond my little local uh, uh, area. So as I uh, continued to minister, I was appointed in a full-time ministry capacity around the year 2005. Guess what? I knew without a shadow of a doubt that those little promises that were given uh, to me unexpectedly, they're going to see some fruition. And around 2006 or 2007, I started a series called Let It Rain. Let It Rain. And it was a series where I believe that, that God is going to rain a revival. It was going to refresh the land. It's going to restore life to God's people. It's going to be a season where we impact the community with the gospel. I believe that God was going to do something profound that those who followed Him weren't going to be Sunday worshipers. They're going to be Monday to Sunday. They're going to be a group of people that live wholeheartedly for the King and selflessly serve Him no matter the cost. I believe that with every fiber of my being, we started prayer walking in the community. We had fasting you know days non-end of fasting people registering to fast in a chain we believed and declared and one of uh, my uh, managers at at the church where I ministered I listened to one of those uh, messages one Sunday and, and he took me to the side I can't remember if it was on the day or later on and said uh, I think it was later on, actually, he said, because it was in an office building. And, and, he, uh, and he said to me, Peter, what are you going to do if there is no revival? And he was so calm. He had a bit of a smirk on his face and he infuriated me. It's like, what on earth are you thinking? I couldn't tell him that God had promised a revival. I believed it with every fiber of my being that there will be a move. I've seen it and I believe God would do it again. I've seen it in the life of my father in the most hard place to reach out people for Jesus, let alone in this place where we actually have freedom to preach the gospel wholeheartedly. And I dismissed his comment. But it remained in the back of my mind 
Every time I preached and there was no response, it was like, uh, what if there is no revival? What if revival doesn't come? And, and would have a, a season of prayer and fasting and imagine people going to be, uh, you know, convinced to bring their unchurched friends and we're going to have a, a, an insane, uh, you, you know, restoration of faith in our community. And it doesn't happen. And that voice in the back of my mind says, so, so what will you do if revival doesn't come? And, and I kid you not, it, it, it was like a, 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 you know, drops of water that wore me down or like a drops of water on a rock. It wore me down over the years. And if I'm truly honest with you, it, uh, it took me uh, several years until I began to believe my friend, my manager back in those days that, Maybe revival won't come. And that experience of letting go of the possibility that God could do something profound just because our community is so far gone from God or because our resources are so meek and, and unable to accomplish much or whatever it might be was a really sinking feeling. And if I'm truly honest with you, every now and again, I battle with that thought. I believe, I believe again that His promise still stands. I believe that there will be a group of young adults, a, an army of young adults who embrace the mission of Jesus, who embrace wholehearted Christianity. I believe there will be a group of young adults who are going to live for Jesus wholeheartedly, who are not going to subscribe to mediocre Christianity. They're not going to live for their career and self-agenda and self-promotion. They're going to live for the King and deepen their love for Him and invisible. A, 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 a new environment, a new community that despite of how hard it may seem that they're going to stand like light in the darkness and like a, a, a stars in a crooked generation. I still believe it. But every now and again, as the promise drags on to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled to the capacity that I believe it will be one day, there is that little nag. What if revival doesn't come? And I don't know about you personally. Wherever you are in your journey, what do you do with God's promises? Particularly, what do you do with God's promises of a, of a significant move of the honor of Jesus, of His name being high and lifted up, of, of people coming to know Him authentically and embrace Him as Savior and Lord, and as they live wholeheartedly to exhibit His personality wherever they may be. I don't know, but I, but I imagine different people have different responses. For some, they are too busy. They are too busy to believe and to declare and to live out and to pray and sacrifice for a movement of God and, and, and to believe His promises that one day He will do something profound that both, for those who hear it, both their ears will tingle. Maybe for others of us, we feel like those promises of a big move of God in an environment is just too spiritual. It's super spiritual. And it's like, you know what? Let's just do, let's be pragmatic. 
and do what we are capable of doing. Let's, let's put events on. Let's, uh, let's do programs. Let, 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 let's just do what's in our hands. We don't want to super spiritualize everything. And for others of us to say, you know, maybe we've received the promise, but it's been so long. It's about time to give it up because the more you wait for something that is deferred, that is, that, 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 you know, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, the scripture says. And, and we feel like we want to protect ourselves. They'll say, you know, this is as best as it will, uh, it will be. So let's just adjust to that. Let that be our new ideal. Let's just rejoice. And I don't mean that we need to wait to rejoice when everything, you know, comes to pass. We, we rejoice. Rejoice in the process, but not give up on the ideal. But some of us feel like it's been so long, too long. But maybe for you and I, we begin to ask ourselves, and what is, what difference? What difference does it make anyway if I believe and declare God's promises? If God is meant to do it, he will do it without my contribution. If God is going to bring about a, a, a move of the Spirit in our community, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and potentially in our city and in our nation and the nations, then what difference does it make that I believe and declare and sacrifice for that? Well, I don't know what difference might make for you. But I believe that there is a difference that I've noticed in my own life when I'm believing that God will move and when I'm reluctant to believe or doubting that He will move. In a very simple way in my own life, something of the fire of God gets a little bit extinguished when I, when I give up hope. It's exactly the concept of, a, of, of losing hope that makes the heart sick. It makes you feel like, then what? You have to live with, with the current situation of, of Jesus not being honored, of, of life being mundane, of Christianity being mediocre. And, and we say, well, there's nothing else we can do. No. The reality is throughout the scripture, you notice that God's people did something as a condition, so to speak, as a prerequisite, as, as a, a premise to the promise. They played their part because God promised to do his part. You know, even with Lazarus, with the revival of Lazarus in a physical manner, Jesus said to those around the, the tomb uh, when Lazarus was dead for four days, he, he, he said to them, uh, uh, you know, move the stone, move the stone. Uh, why do you want them to move the stone? If you can't move the stone, Jesus, what hope have we got that you would raise the dead? Like if you can't move a stone that other humans can, can do, what hope have we got in you to do what we as humans can't do? But I believe throughout the scripture, God uses his people to participate in the miracle of revival, to participate in the miracle of a move of God over a community. You know, you read stories like, uh, like the stories in 
in, in, in South Korea and, and how they used to go up to the mountain and pray when they had very limited percentage of people who were followers of Jesus, authentic followers of Jesus. And we read stories of people giving uh, all that they have for that vision and they will pray at five o'clock in the morning on that mountain and then God came and does the miraculous and transform uh, the percentage the, of the population who are followers of Jesus and, and many of them are now missionaries impacting the world. God throughout history and certainly throughout the scripture invites people to participate, to play their part in the move of God. And, and I want to share with you briefly a story of one of the prophets that God invited him to participate in the miracle of revival. It's the most amazing uh, uh, vision that we see from a prophet named Ezekiel. And this prophet uh, documents this vision, this prophetic vision in, 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 uh, in his book, uh, uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. And that's what he says. He says, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me into the middle of a valley. So we know from the very start that this is a vision. Uh, this is a prophetic vision. And obviously the book of Ezekiel is full of, of different prophecies. But from, uh, from uh, uh, chapter 34 or so, we, we see the visions are now have a different language and different motif. It's now a restoration motif. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's what God is able to do with His people, uh, the, the, the people of Israel, both houses that have been uh, destroyed, uh, you, you know, um, experiencing significant setbacks and 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 being um, exiled and and being removed from their land, but both houses. This uh, this is for both the, the Judah and Israel, and and God is actually both kingdoms are going to be restored uh, according to this vision. But this is how God declares it to Ezekiel says um, he takes him to a valley it was full of bones it was full of bones he led me back and forth uh, in the original some commentators say that he read me around and around to thoroughly examine the hopelessness of that plain the hopelessness of that valley the the, the bones is like there's not fresh dead people they've been dead they're dead people. It's been a prolonged period of deadness. This hopelessness is smelt all over this valley. And saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. Very clearly in this, uh, in this little introductory paragraph, we notice the hopelessness that, that you would experience if you went into a valley and, and saw very dry bones, plenty of bones, of, a, of, of many, many, great many bones. It's like, a, it's like a depressing environment. It speaks of the hopelessness. It speaks of the helplessness. It speaks of the difficulty surrounding the prophet. And where did that come from? Well, this very uh, dry bone valley is a valley of disobedience, defeat, and death. It's a, it's a valley that describes the condition of God's people who are 
who disobeyed him and as a result they were defeated and now it's like soldiers thrown on the, on the face of the desert in the valley and they are basically gone with no hope left in them. You look at that uh, the, the very chapter that we, we, we quoted earlier in our first session, uh, De uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, where God promises blessing for the obedient and, 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 and promises defeat uh, and curse for those who are disobedient. That's exactly what this uh, aspect refers to in Deuteronomy 28, 26 to, tw uh, to 25 to 26. It says this, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. That's the disobedient people of God. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals. And there will be no one to frighten them away. You see, for Jewish people to be left uh, in a valley like that, unburied, it was shameful. It was dishonor. But that was the result of this, their disobedience over a prolonged period of time. It was predicted for them. They had the opportunity to experience the blessing, but by the way they lived their life, they, they, they fulfilled what was going to, what was written about disobedience. And there in the valley, God encounters the prophet and says, um, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, can these bones live? What would you say? If you were around in a graveyard and all those dead People are being dead for a long time that their bones are dry. What would you say? You see what Ezekiel says? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Uh, the emphasis in the original is you, you know. You know, Lord, that I don't know, but you know why. Because He's sovereign. He can do anything. Uh, Ezekiel is not dismissing the reality that he could have said, realistically, logically, there is no way those dry bones could, could live. But because he looked beyond the bones and looked up towards the sovereign one, he could say, you, I can't say, but you know, Lord. And then the Lord says to him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. That's insane. That's insane. Prophesy to these bones and say dry bones, you will come to life. What on earth would you be able to say that? We, 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 we struggle to prophesy to, to, to alive things, alive people. We, we, we struggle to believe of a hopeful future of something of dramatic nature to take place. And he's prophesying to the most hopeless and, 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 and most difficult uh, environment that he can ever experience. But he believed that the sovereign Lord can do anything. Look at that. It says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. Like I have no option. I was commanded and so 
I did what I was commanded. Because when you're commanded by the sovereign Lord, you have no option but to do what He says because you understand the majesty, the power, the wisdom, the capacity of the sovereign Lord. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So they, they, they look like uh, people now instead of dry bones, but they don't have uh, the breath of life. It's reminiscent of, of Genesis chapter 2 and, and I think verse 7 where, 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 where it, they needed the breath of the Creator uh, for, for, for uh, forefathers, uh, for parents to uh, be alive. Then He said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath, come from the four winds and breathe into this slain that they may live. And, and, and initially uh, the Lord asked Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones and something happened. But now the second uh, part of that vision is that he needed to pray to the spirit. He needed to pray to the Spirit so that He would come and will get, and, and the word here, uh, uh, breath, is the same word ruh, which actually means either wind or the Spirit. And, and, and here the, the, the Lord is saying it's by prophesying the word of the Lord and praying to the Spirit of the Lord that something that's so hopeless, that is so difficult, that is so challenging, that's so beyond repair can come to life. And then he says, so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army or a very great army in other words. You see, uh, Spurgeon, the most, he's known as the prince of preachers, say this, decayed churches can most certainly be revived by the preaching of the word accompanied by the coming of the heavenly breath from the four winds, the Spirit of God, by the preaching of the word and by prayer, significant, deliberate, wrestling in prayer, things can change over time. And what I want to share with you today, just three simple steps that as long as we connect it to God and really genuinely seeking His agenda and His honor and His glory, those three things can excite you to believe and declare God's promise to move in your community wherever that may be the first one for the declaration that we need to understand and accept and acknowledge that he is sovereign so we need to trust his promise he is sovereign so we need to trust his promise because he you know over and over in that passage the lord referred to himself and ezekiel referred to him as sovereign he can do anything because yes when we look around us our situations our environments our community our culture you say is there any hope only the sovereign lord can do it. So if he promised it, that means he can accomplish it. The second step is he is supernatural 
trust His power. Like what other power can raise, can raise dry, very dry bone and turn them into a very great army? No other power but the power of the supernatural God, God Almighty. The more we see God as supremely almighty, that He can do that which we can't imagine, that He will do an awesome things amongst us, the scripture says, when we believe of His supernatural capabilities beyond our ordinary perceptions and conceptions, we can we can declare His promises and believe that His power is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The third step, we need to understand that He's strategic and therefore we need to trust His appointment. We need to trust His appointment. You know, that's important for you. That's important for me We're, because Often at times we say somebody else is going to pray for that. Somebody else is going to believe for a move of God. Some more experienced people, some more godly people, the elite believers, uh, the more resourced in Christian environments. Like it's not me to declare that. It's embarrassing. I've got nothing to offer. Uh, You know, I'm not entitled to anything of God's favor. That is absolutely true. But the reality is if God chose you like he chose Israel, Ezekiel, it's not because of the vessel, but because of the God who speaks through the vessel. God is strategic and He selected you as an ordinary vessel that is of no good by yourself in your own capacity, but endowed by power from on high. You can declare what God wants you to declare. My final question to you is this. Dry bones need a divine command. Can sovereign God trust your vocal cords? Dry bones need a divine command so they can be revived. Can the sovereign Lord trust you, trust your vocal cords to declare His command? That is my prayer for you that as you engage with this blessing that God wants to lavish because he longs to be gracious to you you will be a person that lives with that trusting and that hope that he's going to fulfill everything that he promised and as you believe it and declare it and pray it and sacrifice for it in due course it says in its time the Lord will hasten it in its time the Lord will hasten it The Lord has promised. The Lord is able to do it. And I will remain to encourage you and encourage myself to believe that the promise still stands. Great is His faithfulness. Great is His power. I'm believing for a move of God in our midst, despite of our circumstances, despite of our culture, despite of our abilities, despite of our resources. If we come on board with God, if His people will turn themselves from their evil way, will humble themselves and pray, God promised to heal our land. I'm believing, I'm praying that you're believing as well and that we'll see a movement of people that love Jesus, live for Jesus and transform their world for the glory of God and the good for the people around them. Thank you so much for being with us during this episode. May God bless you and honor you as you as you bless and honor Him. Until we'll see you in our next episode, be utterly blessed. Thank you.